There are certain things that if you really tried to do them would be an absolute impossibility. And if you really sat down and tried to list out all of your blessings, all of the great things that God has done, and we have prayed tonight and acknowledged that He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, well, you'd be sitting there a long time. And as John would be one to write, there would not be enough parchment or enough ink to record all the great blessings that God has provided. But it's a nice thought to count our blessings. And better to count that than the difficulties that come in this life because God has richly blessed us. And I appreciate our good brother choosing those songs to help us to think about our blessings that come from God, the fount of every blessing, and the blessings that we count. As we think about, really, blessings tonight, and if you are looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I encourage you to do so and to open there where we're going to read here in just a moment. Glad you're here tonight and appreciate so much the attendance of those who are visiting with us. You may already know where I'm going tonight if you're familiar with the story of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and you're familiar with the Valley of Baraka and what that means, or if you read ahead real quickly to give away the punchline of where we're going tonight, Baraka is the idea of blessings which come from God, God blessing us. And so you could paraphrase that this is the valley of blessings in this great account that occurs in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I debated among myself, me, myself, and I, whether or not I was going to read the text and then come back and make the observations or make the observations as we go through the text. And uh, the debate ended up in uh, a draw. So I decided what I wanted to do is to do a little bit of both. So I want to read four or five verses at a time, then make some observations, because I think this is a powerful text. And I chose Psalm 121, which really has nothing to do on the surface as the scripture reading. But I love Psalm 121 because it talks about God providing and God blessing. And really, you can say, well, isn't that the case with most of the Psalms? And you're right. But it's a beautiful Psalm and one that I would encourage you to go back and reread sometime this week, especially as you are sometimes discouraged and you need to count those blessings. I want to start in verse 1, and I want to read down through verse 5 of the text, where it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, that are from Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And then notice verse 3, which we'll come back to in just a moment. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Let's actually go ahead and pause there at verse 4. We'll pick up at verse 5 in just a minute. Tonight, I want us to think about a path. A path from where God blesses us to a place where we bless God. I remember seeing a bumper sticker a number of years ago which said something along the lines of, rather than God bless America, how about America bless God? 
And I thought that was kind of an interesting phrase. And then I read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and it made more sense to me that indeed we seek God's blessings, and we want his blessings, and we desire those blessings, and we pray for those blessings. But it is also wholly appropriate for us to be individuals who bless God too. And that sounds a little bit odd to us because, let's face it, 99 out of 100 times we almost always think about God blessing me. But it is appropriate for us to bless God as well. So I want us to look at this path with four parts. Part number one is that sometimes we start out with fear, trepidation, uncertainty. The idea that I'm not sure what's about to happen. And that was certainly the case for Jehoshaphat when all of these armies are squaring up to face him and to destroy him, or at least in an attempt to destroy him. And the application for us at the very beginning of our study is that we need to acknowledge that our lives, in spite of all the blessings that God provides us, is filled with uncertainties, filled with trepidation from time to time, and opportunities for us to be fearful. And we ought not panic over that. I put up there, that's okay. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that God is leaving us to the winds of the world. He does give us the assistance to help with those fearful events. But it is true that we're going to face some difficult days, and that's okay. Go back and read 1 Peter, for example, and you'll read about men and women who had to endure difficult times as we pray tonight because of their faithfulness and they remained faithful in spite of all of those challenges. When we look at verses 1, 2, and 3, you can acknowledge that from a human point of view, Jehoshaphat had reason to fear. We know historically that these other nations, Moab, Ammon, and the others had a history of war with God's people. We could go back into the pages of the Old Testament prior to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and find plenty of paragraphs, plenty of pages, plenty of texts that talk about them being dangerous to God's people and being constantly at war, it seems, with the people of Judah. And the fact is, is Judah, and in this case, Judah and Israel, had just recently gone to battle against Syria, if you go back to chapter 18. But fear and uncertainty caused Jehoshaphat to act. And that's an important acknowledgement for us to make that there in verse 3 where it says he feared rather than giving up and giving in or turning to himself. What was the first thing he did? The Bible says he set himself to seek the Lord. He knew Matthew 6.33 before Matthew 6.33 even existed, right? Seek first the kingdom and all the other things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and then the things that you otherwise would worry about that we talked about in our Bible class this morning in Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34, will be added to you. But it says he sought the Lord, and then it says he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And also, as we talked about in our Bible class last Sunday morning and this Sunday morning, the fact is, is fasting is a time for us to refuse to do, refrain to do, or to choose not to do one particular thing 
in an effort to focus our attention on God. And that's what Jehoshaphat does. He says, we've got a serious enemy threat on the way. It is best for us to turn our attention to God. And so when we think about this path of blessings to blessing God, it starts with fear and uncertainty. But what do we do? We as Christians must turn to God and say, God, I need help from you. Asking him for help is totally appropriate to do. Read with me beginning in verse 5 and let's read down through about verse 11 or 12. It says in verse 5 that then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And notice what he says. And this is a model, as we'll talk about in just a moment, for us praying to God. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in the temple and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. This is a beautiful prayer. And I have said this a number of different times, and the more I read the Old Testament, the more I'm convinced that at some point someone needs to write a book if they haven't already done so entitled something along the lines of prayers in the Old Testament and how we learn from them. It's a very catchy title. But there's so many prayers in the Old Testament that teach us about the way God is to be worshipped and the way God is to be praised and the way that he is to be called the creator who does things. And notice the beautiful words of verse 12, the, the second part. Our eyes are upon you. It reminds me of Psalm 121, where it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills or to the mountaintops. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord God creator himself. So what we see here is that the response from Jehoshaphat was to seek God and to pray fervently for help. And I like looking at these prayers and using them kind of as... Here, for those of you who are educators, scaffolding to help us understand this particular text. It's the idea that you put these different benchmarks in place and you try to meet these benchmarks and it really frames in the prayer. And so if we were going to outline prayer, if we were going to do a sermon just on outlining prayer and use this as a part, here are the five things that I would come up with. Number one, we always go to God and we praise our God. 
And we did a good job of that tonight. And I appreciate our brother Dan leading us in prayer as well as all the other men who lead us in public prayers. Nothing wrong with asking God for help as we'll talk about in just a moment. But there's something very right in spending significant time and just saying, God, you are great. God, you are powerful. God, you are awesome, as I wrote on Monday in the Monday Minute. Secondly, reflections on God's past assistance. Go back and look at your life and count your blessings and say, God, you've provided for me in the past. And one of the things about acknowledging that God has provided for you in the past is that it provides a verbal stimulus or a reminder, hey, God has taken care of me. The thing I was concerned about at the outset of my prayer, now that I've been praying for a few seconds or a few minutes, is no longer seeming to be as significant as what I once thought, because I'm acknowledging all the things that God has done for me in the past. Thirdly, a confidence of future assistance and assurance that God is going to provide for me. Not that God is going to erase all my problems or remove every obstacle in front of me, but in verse 8, notice what Jehoshaphat says, they dwell in it, have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes to us, judgment, pestilence, famine, sword, we will stand for the temple because we trust you and we will cry out to you and you will hear us and you will save us. We might be well to incorporate verse 9 into our prayer life on a daily basis. God, you hear and God, you save because you've always done it in the past. There's no reason for me to doubt. And you know what we do as humans? When I say we, I'm, I'm largely talking about one person in this building who does this. And that is we worry about things and I concern myself with things and I fret over things and I pray to God about those things. And I forget, how many of the difficulties in my past has God helped me through? God isn't batting 323. He's batting a thousand and taking care of all of my problems. He is there for me. He delivers for me. When I ask God for help, it needs to be that I praise him, reflect on the past, and have confidence in the future. And fourthly, a statement of the present problem. It's interesting that if you like percentages and you like numbers, that in this prayer of five components, a good three-fifths or 60% of it is all about God, you are great, you've been great, and you're going to continue to be great. It's not over until halfway through the prayer... That Jehoshaphat says, now let me talk about the problem that I've got. There's something to be said about praying that way. And again, I'm preaching to one particular person. If you haven't figured out who that is, ask me at the end of the sermon who I'm preaching to. Someone once said, that's a good sermon you preached. I needed that. I always say, well, generally speaking, I preach the things that I need. And if I need it, you need it as well. And then what does he do? He finally says, will you please help? There's nothing wrong with going to God in time of prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we come to our God in time of need. But we ought not look at God at being some sort of a prayer jukebox where we put in a coin and we get what we want out of him. But rather that we praise him, we thank him, we honor him, we acknowledge him, and then we say, will you please? Help me, because you have always in the past. And I trust that you're going to do that in the future. 
And that should be the relationship that we have with our God in prayer as outlined by Jehoshaphat in this particular text in the Valley of Baraka, where it starts with fear, then it returns to praising God and asking him for help. And then what does Jehoshaphat do? He says, now that I have spoken, I will listen. And so what does he do? He says, let me listen to my God. Well, read with me verses 13 down through about verse 15 or 16. In verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaliah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, what's the first thing in verse 15? One of the hardest things to do when you are in a difficult period of time is to just stop. Psalm 46 says, be still, know that I'm God, listen, just, just listen. Sometimes we have real difficulty just stopping for a few seconds. Just listen. Reading, just seeing what he has to say and being calm with that and being okay with that. He says, listen, all you of Judah and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. I would say someone should write a song like that, but I think it's already been done because the battle belongs to the Lord. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. So you think about this, and there's a couple of observations that I would make in this third of four points. And that is Jehoshaphat set an example that apparently encouraged these people that when they heard this prayer, when they heard the diligence of Jehoshaphat, when they heard his spiritual mindedness, they said, we are ready to listen. We are ready to stand there. The men, the women, the children, they stood and they listened to what God had to say through his spokesman. And the two key things that God responded with that are as timeless now as they were then is number one, don't be afraid and remember who's in control. If you remember those two things, that when I go to God in prayer and I'm worried about something, I'm anxious about something, that when I finally go to God and pray, just like Jehoshaphat did, just like Hezekiah did, just like so many other great characters in the Bible did, Old and New Testaments, I need to listen to God. He's telling me, don't be afraid. And he's telling me that God is in control. All right. If I know that God's in control, then I won't be afraid. If I know that I'm going to trust God, Matthew 6, that everything else will be added unto me. Verse 15 is one of my favorite verses in all the chapter where he says, the battle is not yours. And I can just imagine someone there saying, wait a minute, it is ours. It's not you that's going to be murdered. It's not you that's house is going to be burned down and torn down. No, the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. And Judah listens to God's, what we might call, odd instructions. And I chose the word odd there 
Not because they're odd to us, but they're odd to those of the world who don't have the spiritual understanding that we're trying to get. Verse 16, he says, as the battle is not yours, he says, tomorrow go down against them. They'll surely come up to you. Find them at the end of the brook at the wilderness of Jeruel. Then in verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. That's the first major thing that he says regarding the battle. You're probably expecting the spokesman of God to say, all right, I want to line up maybe just 300 of you in the words of, or in the account of Gideon, right? Line up some of you over here, some of you over here, some of you over here, and we'll sneak attack, and we'll flank him from the left, and we'll get him from the right, and we'll come around, and we'll get him, and everything will be great. And God will deliver them into your mighty hands, and they'll all die. But he says, the battle is not yours. And then he goes on in verse 17 to say, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat, verse 18, let's read down through about verse 22. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord. And what did they do? They worshiped the Lord. Something we can learn about that as well. One of the best things that we can do when we are stressed is to worship God. It reminds me of the woman in an MRI. Those of you that have had an MRI know how pleasant of an experience it is. She just laid there and sang, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me the whole time through. With her eyes closed so she wouldn't move (laughs) during the procedure. But worshiping God in song, worshiping God in prayer. And it says in verse 19, the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he anointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army, and they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. One more verse. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. God tells Judah to go down as to prepare for battle. But rather than dividing them into the various flanks, And having some miraculous way of doing it by way of their power, he says, stand still. It goes back to what we talked about earlier in our study. Sometimes we just need to stand still or sit still, even if it's just for 20 seconds. And that's difficult for some of us (laughs) to sit still and just be calm with God. Don't be afraid. God's in control. Jehoshaphat was a great leader. And there's a lot that we can learn about leadership in the Bible from great men like Jehoshaphat, great men like Nehemiah. But what happens here is the people do three things, as we read in verses 18, 19, and 20. 
The people listened, the people praised, and the people obeyed. Is there anything different in what we are to do today? And the answer is no. This is remarkably applicable to the things that are transpiring today, whether that be in the world in general and what we need to do or what we as Christians and local churches need to be involved in. And instead of fear, the people use their energy to worship God. And that's interesting to think about, at least to me, because what we tend to do is we use all of our energy worrying and fretting and doubting. But they said, let's praise God. Rather than sitting there worrying, open your Bible and start reading. Rather than sitting there fretting, someone once said that worry is like being in a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it doesn't get you any place very soon. And the fact of the matter is, is we need to be individuals who turn our nervous energy to God and use it as an opportunity to worship Him. Which brings us to part four and the final part of our study, and that is where we bless our God. Go to verse 22. They began to sing and to praise the Lord, said ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Apparently, God knew what he was doing the whole time. So when Judah came to a place Overlooking the wilderness, verse 24, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of viables on the dead bodies. Precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Can you imagine that scene, by the way? All those dead bodies, and for three days, constantly gathering up the spoil. And on the fourth day, verse 26, and we'll end with verse 26. On the fourth day, they assembled at the valley of Berica, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place was called the valley of Berica until this day. The fact is, is as we read in those verses just a few seconds ago, God keeps and will always keep his promises and delivers his people. And instead of celebrating their victory and high-fiving one another, who did they celebrate? They borrowed from Matthew 5, 16, where it says, So glorify your Father who is in heaven. And they celebrated God in their victory. Let me go back to where we began and where we end. And that is, it is okay for us to ask God to bless us. So please do not walk out thinking, well, I can no longer ask God to take care of me. The preacher said I can't do that anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But it is really okay for us to ask of ourselves to bless God. That was the emphasis in the prayer of Jehoshaphat. That was the thrust of the way that he led his people and the way that they followed. And it was the ingredient for the victory that day, along with God's incredible grace, his miraculous powers, and his wondrous might. You know, we sang at the outset of our services this evening, 
God is the fountain from which all blessings flow. O thou fountain of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, and then count your many blessings. All because we're talking about the blessings that came from God to these people thousands of years ago, which are the same blessings where God provides for us today. And the point is quite clear, at least I hope it is clear to you now as we conclude, and that is we must always end at part four and experience our own Valley of Berica. Because if we do number one, have fear and uncertainty, that's not enough. Because that's just like the world. We must take that fear, ask God for help, praise him in prayer, listen to what he has to say, follow his instructions, and then say thank you and praise you even the more. You may say, well, there's a lot of praise that's going on here. There's a lot of praise that's going on here. That's why. Because that's what you and I are to be doing, praising our God. And one of the greatest things... That you, in fact, the greatest thing that you can do in praising God is to say, I want to follow you. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to submit to your will. And we're inviting those who are here tonight to make that choice who've not already been baptized. Why keep Jesus waiting, waiting at the door? He will hear you. He will open the door. He is here tonight for you as always he is in every place to accept you into his kingdom, into his family, after your choice to serve him. We hope that you'll make that decision. As Brother David talked about this morning, he outlined very nicely those verses in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, and Acts 2 and verse 38, which teach us about the importance of a belief in Jesus, which is a core to who we are, and then a repentance of our sin, followed by our confession that Jesus is the Christ and our baptism for the remission of our sins. There may be one or more tonight that's not uh, made that decision, or those who have and you've strayed from the truth. And as always, we offer an opportunity to pray with you and for you to try to help you in your valley of Berica, where you can bless God going forward all the more. If we can help you, let us know while together we stand while we sing.